0: given us a lot of almost staccato kinds of instructions and uh, what we're going to discover is that these staccato instructions tend to fit within three broad groupings Uh, one is about how we deal with one another Uh, another is about uh, our prayer life uh, you know personal spiritual disciplines and then another is how we deal with gifts of the holy spirit and things like that Uh, and so we're going to deal with the first of those Uh, But before we read here from 1 Thessalonians, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you that we can gather in your name to worship you, to honor you, to exalt your name, uh, and to come before you in your word. Lord, we know that just listening to your word and receiving it, responding to it, itself is an act of worship. And even as I proclaim your word, Lord, I want to worship you in this and surrender myself to you. And so, Lord, we ask that you'd speak to our hearts and minds in the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to understand your word fully and integrate it into the way that we live, uh, particularly with one another as believers in Jesus Christ. So come, Holy Spirit, fill me up so I can bring your word boldly and faithfully to your people today through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 We start with verse 12. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. I think one of the greatest challenges that the church faces, not only here in the UK, but around the globe, is the reality that in many respects, many of the churches are not really that healthy. There's a lot of great teaching that's out there. Uh, There's a lot of great worship music that's out there. Uh, There are a lot of big worship gatherings and and big groups of people that have gathered together. But in terms of how we relate to one another, in terms of how we uh, uh, grow together in discipleship, uh, in terms of how we might reach out into our communities, uh, frankly, a lot of churches are not really that healthy. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, you could look at leadership. You could look at quite a number of different areas. Uh, There's uh, certainly a lot of individualism in the world around us today. But in many respects, one of the reasons why, maybe the primary reason why, that so many churches are not healthy is that we simply don't follow biblical instructions about how we live together, how we work together, how we do ministry together, how we worship together. And yet the Bible is filled with things about how we treat one another, how we relate to one another. In fact, you look throughout Paul, and a lot of Paul's instruction... It's not about how you win the world for Jesus. It's not about how you engage in spiritual warfare. Uh, It's not about the methods of evangelism that you might use. A large part of Paul's instruction to Christians in all of his letters, and this would also be true of Peter and James and John, uh, and dare I say it's probably also true of Jesus, a large part of these instructions are about How we live together, how we work together, how we relate to one another as Christians. And we need to learn how to implement some of the things that Paul has told us to do if we want to be healthy. And we all have this responsibility. It's not the responsibility just of leaders to do these things. It's not the responsibility simply of gifted people to do these things. It is the responsibility of anyone who is a follower of Jesus to relate to one another in these ways. And today in this passage that we read, Paul actually gives us seven short Encouragements or instructions about how we need to relate to one another, particularly in the body of Christ. And if we would listen just to the things that Paul tells us today, I think most of our churches would become healthier and healthier. And again, I can't just do that as the leader of the church, it has to be people all throughout the church, all Christians have to be relating to one another in these ways. So what does Paul tell us? And I want to hit these very, very quickly, and they're not really that difficult to understand. The one he spends the most time on to have a healthy church fellowship, to have a healthy congregation, the one he spends the most time on is actually the first one. And basically you could summarize that as saying you need to know and esteem very highly your leaders. In the ESV, that word know is actually translated as respect. It's a difficult word to respect uh, to, to translate, but the idea is that you've got to get to know somebody and then you need to hold them in high regard or esteem them very highly. And so he's talking about leaders here. And so he says our first responsibility is to know our leaders, know who they are, and also esteem them very highly. And that's a challenge sometimes because the more we know somebody sometimes the greater danger is the more we will find things not to like about them and consequently there's a lot of leaders that hide themselves i try not to hide myself because you know i want everybody to like me but at the end of the day it's not my job to make people like me Uh, they just need to know who i am and i think that's really the should be the goal of every leader It's just to be transparent enough so that people can get to know them And then it's our responsibility, as we know them, to esteem them very highly. Now, how do we know that these are leaders? Well, Paul tells us that these people do three things. First of all, they are people who labor among you. And the idea of labor is that they work hard. I know a lot of lazy leaders out there. Uh, But a true biblical leader needs to be hardworking. But notice what he says He doesn't say labor separate from you, labor under you, labor over you, but he says labor among you. Jesus said this too. when He said said to to his disciples when they were jockeying for position, he said, listen guys, I am among you as one who serves. And the first responsibility here or, or the first way to identify a leader is whether or not the leader is actually among the people. But the leader is also, as Paul says, over you in the Lord. And the idea of this word that's translated as over it, it, it carries a threefold meaning. It means somebody who leads, someone who protects, and someone who cares for. So the leaders that we are to know and esteem very highly, what they're doing, they're, they're leading, but they're also looking to protect and to care for you. Know, one of my biggest goals here at City Temple is that City Temple would feel like a safe place to most people. And most people here know that I will zealously protect the people under my care. I and mean, it's just one of my passions. And that's what Paul's saying here. And that's the idea of over. Over you and the Lord is not somebody who's domineering, it's not somebody who's commanding, but somebody who does have a responsibility to lead, protect, and care. And this person also admonishes us. And by admonish there, it includes the generic idea of instruction, but it also includes sometimes the idea of warning or challenging. A genuine leader that we are to know and esteem very highly is somebody who from time to time is going to challenge us. Who's going to make us feel a bit uncomfortable. Sometimes it's somebody who will take the risk to warn us. And it is a risk because a lot of people don't like that. But Paul says, if you want to have a healthy church fellowship and you want to be strong in the Lord and be a church that really makes a difference, then you must know and esteem very highly your leaders, the leaders that the Lord has placed in your midst. That's the first thing. Then he says, be at peace among yourselves be at peace among yourselves this idea of be at peace means to avoid strife to avoid conflict I know there's some people who who almost they they're like seeking conflict uh, I remember years ago I was at a five-day conference it wasn't a Christian conference uh, it was a, 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 a secular conference but uh, but I was there and with a group of about 15 other people And uh, they went around the circle and they asked us all, you know, what do you hope will happen this week? And I'll I'll never forget, one of the guys said, I want to see a lot of fights. I hope we have fights with one another. Uh, And he was a bit, you know, belligerent and and things. And in the end, I mean, he paid me a great compliment. He came up to me on the last day and he says, you know, I think of you as a mountain of love. And I thought, wow, for a non-Christian... I was encouraged by that. So that that was kind of cool. I like that. But what Paul says is, be at peace. Avoid strife. Avoid conflict. Now, there are some things that's worth fighting about, but there are other things, frankly, that are not. And we need to learn the difference between the two. If somebody wants to argue with me whether or not Jesus rose bodily from the dead, I will fight with you on that. If somebody wants to argue with me whether blue or red is a better color for church carpeting, you know, I don't really care. And it's not worth a battle. It's not worth conflict. And so Paul says, be at peace among yourselves. And that's a choice each one of us has to make. And a choice we each can make. And then the third thing he says here is to admonish the idol. Admonish the idol. And what is he talking about here? He's talking about the person who is not disciplined. The undisciplined, disorderly person. I think one of the biggest challenges that I see in the body of Christ, again, as I'm traveling around the world, one of the biggest challenges I see are that, is that people do not want to discipline themselves. We talk about spiritual disciplines, and spiritual disciplines, we'll talk about that more next week. A prayer is a spiritual discipline. Reading the Bible is a spiritual discipline. That means for most people, prayer is not something that happens naturally. It's something we have to set apart time to do. Reading the Bible is not something that happens naturally. We have to set aside time to do it. Giving money to the church is not something that happens naturally. We have to set aside the funds to do it. These are disciplines, and we are called as disciples, it's the same base word, same root, to discipline ourselves. And if somebody is undisciplined, if they're disorderly, or if they're just downright lazy, we have a responsibility to admonish them. And that uh, means basically to give them a good swift kick in the backside to get them moving. That's what that means. Uh, And we have that responsibility, and it's not the responsibility of the leader to do that, it's the responsibility of us to do that with one another, with our friends, uh, and those that are close to us, to say, hey, listen, come on, that's not very disciplined. You need to discipline yourself, you need to focus yourself, and so much of life depends on our discipline. And so Paul tells us, if we want to be healthy in our relationships, We have to admonish the idle. Because what I see most of the time is you have idle people that everybody resents, but nobody admonishes. And we need to discipline, admonish those who are undisciplined and challenge them and stretch them to learn how to be disciplined. And I know I've been helped in my life by people who have done that to me, and we certainly need to do that to one another. But then Paul goes on, and he says, "The other, next thing we need to do is cheer up the faint-hearted, comfort or encourage the faint-hearted. Now who is a faint-hearted person? A faint-hearted person who's someone who feels inadequate and lacks self-confidence? That's what Paul means here. That's what the word means. Someone who feels inadequate and lacks self-confidence. Again, in my experience, that's most all of us. And we need to cheer one another up, to encourage one another to keep going, to encourage one another that we can do what God has called us to do, to encourage one another that we might not be competent in and of ourselves, but Jesus Christ can make us competent, and together we can do almost anything that we put our minds to. So we have to cheer one another up, especially when we're feeling inadequate, and especially when we lack self-confidence. And that's most of us from time to time, myself included, I'm in there. And then fifth, he says, to help the weak. Help the weak. This is the person who just can't go on, the person who has, has no strength. And this idea of help is to hold them up and hold them fast. Uh, if I'm weak, especially because I'm a big guy, so, you know, so if I'm weak and I'm about to stumble, if you're going to help me, you're going to have to hold on to me tight and you're really going to have to hold, up, hold me up high because you don't want me to fall because for most of you, if I fell on you, I mean, that's toast for you. Uh, it'd cushion my fall, but there, you know, you'd know you be history. You know? So you're going to have to hold me up and hold me tight and keep me from falling over. And that's the idea about behind helping the weak. We hold one another up. We hold one another tight. We keep one another from falling over, from from collapsing. And then he says six, probably the most difficult one in all of this, be patient with all. Be patient with all. This is long-suffering. This means we need to restrain anger. Now, there's a lot of times, uh, in being honest, there's a lot of times I get really frustrated with people. Uh, and I probably a lot of times people get really frustrated with me, uh, to be really, really honest there. And that's the point where we need patience. We need to restrain that frustration, restrain that anger, to keep going with the person, not disown them, not walk away from them, which is our tendency in the body of Christ, somebody is not quite right in what we do, we'd step away from them rather than stepping closer to them. But we need to be patient with all. That's everybody, including the leaders, including one another. We've got to be patient with all. And then finally, the final encouragement here that Paul makes, if we're going to be healthy together, we need to seek to do good first to each other and then to everybody. We must seek to do good first to one another, and then to everybody. And the idea of doing good here, it's not moral goodness that Paul is talking about. That's a different Greek word. The idea of goodness here is something that is literally beneficial to others. We need to do things that will be a benefit to other people especially the people around us. We don't want to repay evil for evil. We don't want to retaliate when people do wrong to us, which they constantly they do. But Paul is saying here that we must constantly pursue what is beneficial for everybody. We constantly go after it. We're constantly looking for it. And our responsibility is not to seek good for ourselves, not to seek the benefit for ourselves, but to pursue the benefit for other people. And this is one of the most consistent commands, actually, in Scripture, that we are to do good to one another in the body of Christ and to everybody outside the body of Christ. That we must be constantly looking for what is really going to benefit other people. Not only moral goodness, but that which will tangibly benefit each other. Whether it's a good word, a word of encouragement, whether it's a financial gift, uh, whether it's preparing them a meal, taking them out for a cup of coffee, uh, encouraging them during a time of bereavement, whatever it is, we must say, God, what will benefit this person and how can I pursue that? How can I go after that? And we must be looking at that all the time. And I think if most churches would simply implement this last one, most people in most churches, they come in and they say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to seek to do as much benefit to everybody else as I possibly can in the way that God has gifted me and encouraged me. I think that alone would be transforming to our churches. Now, Paul's encouraging us here. And I think if Paul were here now, he'd say, people, remember everything else that I've been saying, that this is not a list of do's and don'ts, in a sense. This is not a list of rules and regulations. This is a suggestion to how we can live out of the grace that we received in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has loved us, because he died on the cross for us, bringing us the ultimate benefit, the ultimate goodness, because he's called us together as his body, we are to do good to one another and to live together in all of these ways, respecting our leaders, being at peace amongst ourselves, admonishing the idle, encouraging the faint-hearted, helping the weak, being patient with all, doing good to everyone. We are to live in this way in honor of Jesus, as an overflow of God's grace to us in Jesus Christ, as an indicator of the reality of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And as we do, not only will our churches be healthier, but Jesus will receive the glory and the praise. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you that you've given us so many practical things that we can implement in our lives even this week. And I pray, Father, that you would show each of us just one of these things that we need to implement in the next seven days and show us how we need to do it so we can bring glory, honor, and praise to Jesus and so our churches might become healthier and stronger. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.